All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, Deering Live. Hey, today we're with uh, John Jennings from Warrior, Warrior Microphones and Matt Coles from Compass Sound Studios in Nashville. Um, we're here to talk about mic placement for, um, for recording a banjo. Um, it, you, you haven't done this before. We'll also talk a little bit about just uh, some general basic recording tips, and and you'll, I'm sure you'll learn something for recording any instrument too. And um, so, hey, hey, John, hey, Matt, how y'all doing? Hey, we're doing great. Hey, glad to be here. Uh, John, why don't you why don't you do introduce yourself and 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 uh, talk a little bit a little about the Royer story, just real briefly to get let everybody know. Sure. Um, I, I'm uh, one of the founders and owners of Royer Labs. We started in 1998 and um, we, uh, David Royer had designed the R121, which turned out to be an exceptional sounding microphone. And we basically built the company on that mic and, and then all the, the, the other ribbon mics that we've developed over the years. The thing about ribbons that uh, really sets them apart is that they hear more like the human ear than any other microphone type. So uh, you use different microphones to capture instruments the way you want to capture them. But when you want them to sound the way they are in a room, you throw up a good ribbon and it really helps get you there very quickly. Uh, so we're, we're big uh, ribbon fanatics. Obviously that's what Royer has been based on. We won a Grammy in 2013, a technical Grammy for the um, impact that ribbons made, particularly in digital recording, because in, in the digital world, you don't have tape softening and compressing uh, the audio and giving you a more sort of a musical tone, you have, a, you know, you're, you're dealing with the reality of whatever the microphone throws at Pro Tools or whatever your recording system is. So um, it was getting kind of brittle because a lot of mics have a lot of high-end energy, which is excellent on some instruments and on some recording mediums. But when you're looking for something that doesn't introduce additional highs and just gives you a, a really natural sort of a sound, you go to a good ribbon and it really helps get you there. So I'm sort of a ribbon fanatic and, uh, and I'm really happy that Deering reached out uh, to Royer some months ago and asked us to, to collaborate on a video series, which will be up soon. And then they brought uh, Matt Coles in as the engineer who's got a deep background working with, uh, with Allison Brown and Stuart Duncan and a number of other great players. And, and he, you know, engineered the sessions and then in these sessions gives a lot of information on mic placement and so forth. So Anyway, that's that. It's a bit about me. Uh, uh, I'm a musician too. Love playing. Got my Deering banjo here too. I'm not a great banjo player, but I'm gonna learn. I'm a bit, bit more of a guitar guy, but I, I picked up my Deering and I love it. And my friends who come by to check it out love it too. So uh, really looking forward to, to being here today and talking about this. Very good. You'll be a, you'll be a, you're thinking of yourself as a banjo player first <laughs> soon, soon enough. All right. Um, Matt, why don't you give us a, a brief, you know, introduce yourself and some people you've worked with and, and things like that. Well, my name's Matt Coles. I've been an engineer here in Nashville for uh, almost 20 years. Um, it's, you know, Nashville is such a unique place. It's been a wild ride. Um, everyone from, you know, working on, starting out at Sound Kitchen Studios, working on Brooks and Dunn and, you know, um, all the big country acts and then also branching out some, some more rock like Rush we worked on some of that um, Alice Cooper uh, 
recently, just the Eagles. Um, it's been, you know, uh, freelance here in town. So I've been at many different studios, many different facilities with many different producers and artists. Um, I've landed here at Compass Records recently, past five years. Um, really enjoyed working on the Americana music and bluegrass. Um, you know, the musicianship is just outstanding. Anywhere you go in Nashville, it is, but it's just, there's some serious pickers here, and it's it's just a joy to work on some of that music. Um, anyway, yeah, I've been here for the past, like I said, about five years, working with Allison and Gary, Wes, the owner, and, and people like Stuart Duncan and many other fantastic world-class players using all sorts of microphones <laughs> to record and capture samples. But yeah. Very good. Well, uh, yeah, we, so we, for everybody, we, we recorded some, we made some videos. We started a video series on, uh, on how to mic a banjo featuring, featuring Allison Brown and Stuart Duncan. That'll be launching, uh, next week, I believe. And, uh, and it'll, it goes into depth in various aspects about, uh, you know, mic placement and different things you might run into, but we'll talk about some of these things today as well. Um, do you want us to, maybe we could show the trailer of, of, of one of these videos. Hi, my name's Allison Brown, and we're here in Nashville, Tennessee at the Compass Sound Studio. This afternoon, we want to demonstrate microphone placement for recording the five-string banjo. All right, there's a little taste of, of, of what's to come. Uh, very I love soon. that. That's just it's so good. Those two are such great players. They had such a good time together, obviously, and then playing by themselves. It's like this. This was a real joy to work on this, this video series. It's been fun just just seeing what's come out. You know, seeing what this, see you know the content that's been captured, hear the playing, and 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 I've learned a lot too just from watching it. Um, for, why don't we get into just a little bit about the different types of mics that there are out there in the world? Um, who I don't know, either one of you could could pick up on this, but for somebody that really isn't familiar with with you know uh, just general overall you know the types of mics, a basic overview could could you go over that maybe? Well, there's dynamic microphones, which are more like the SM57s, and the 421s, and um, usually lower a little a bit lower in level to mic preamps and stuff. Uh, then you have condenser microphones, which usually they're all take phantom power. Um, they'll give a higher signal, a little brighter, a little more present on the low end sometimes. Um, then you have the magical ribbon microphones. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> loves. I love. Yeah. I do too. Clearly, they, the the dynamics are great because, you know, those are the ones you see the singers taking on stage or swinging around or dropping and picking back up. And, yeah, yeah. you know, you can you can really beat them uh, uh, and, and uh, they'll, they'll take that beating. They don't have quite the the sensitivity at all of a condenser or a ribbon mic, but they they, they do some things really well, uh, like kick drums and you know, live electric guitars and you know, live vocals and, and the condensers. 
like what Matt was saying, they're, they're brighter sounding and you really hear that. And sometimes that's great, like on a pop vocal where you want the vocal to really cut through it. Kind of, you hear all the stuff going on in the singer. Um, but you don't always want that on instruments. And sometimes on an instrument like banjo, it can be really tough because it accentuates all the highs and you end up getting a brittle sounding instrument. Mm -hmm. um, whereas when you, when you throw a ribbon up, uh, and I'm not just here to do a big rah-rah ribbon because all microphone types really are useful, but, but the ribbon will just hear the banjo very naturally. And if you're looking for that tone that you have in the room, that's pretty much what you're gonna get with a good ribbon. Not the cheap stuff. It's like that with all microphones. If you go really cheap, you can go inexpensive, but do it carefully. <laughs> but, uh, but a decent ribbon will really give you that, that natural tone in the room. What about, can we talk about basic uh, polarity patterns um, and, a th and just kind of what different situations you might choose one type of pattern over another? You want me to start, Matt, and then you yeah. are sort of pick it up? Sure. Um, well, obviously, ribbon microphones are uh, figure eight patterns, which meaning they they hear on the front side. On the back side, they'll hear um, out of phase. But they're, it's um, on the edges, the front and back, and then you have side edges. Uh, they have a great null point, which means they reject sound. And right, that, so like here's one, so like... In the front, the, uh, a ribbon, a figure of eight mic is hearing from the front and from the back. It's like it's got, it's, it's, it's hearing from this side, it's hearing from this side. And what Matt was talking about, the null points, those are the sides here where it's completely deaf. Whatever sounds coming in this direction or this direction or the top or the bottom of the mic, the mic doesn't hear it, but it hears from the front and it hears uh, from the back. So you have to sometimes control what sound is getting in from the back. And Matt talks about that in the videos. He shows very effective um, methods for dealing with the backside if you don't want anything coming in the backside. So that's a uh, figure eight. Yeah. You know, one thing in the video I didn't mention, though, and I, I thought about later, is you can, you can shut down the backside of a ribbon, ribbon mic uh, too much, and it'll start to sound a little phasey and weird. Um, you know, if, if, you try to, if you try to put a baffle up like, six inches from the back it might sound a little funny because they are meant to i mean that's what gives them their their magic is you know they're they are hearing on the backside and it, they need to be able to they need some air on the backside is i guess is what i'm saying they do they, they need to breathe some if you do choke off the back yeah it starts to get kind of weird it's kind of like if you do this with your yeah with your uh with your ears you put your hands up here and listen to you know us talking or listen to anything things sound really weird it's very directional you're only getting what's here but you do that you notice how weird things sound and you take your hands away wow all the air's opened up you're getting everything and that's yeah like a ribbon doesn't want to get too choked off on the back or like matt said it'll get it it'll get phasey which is a kind of a strange sound that's just not good yeah. you know and another thing about the ribbon mics too the the figure eight pattern on any mic um, is the null points are extremely useful. You know, like maybe if you're doing a guitar vocal or something, you know, you can use that null point to keep the vocal from getting into the the uh, guitar mic. You know, it's, so those those null points on microphones, whether it's cardioid or figure eight or um, super hypercardioid, 
they're extremely useful, you know, you, thinking about that and trying to use those null points to your advantage. Right. Null point is the engineering term for the death point. It's like where yeah. the microphone doesn't hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, like with the 121, you're in front and back. The null points are the sides. Mm -hmm. That's just where it's How does that compare to a cardioid uh, pattern? Well, like a, like a, say an SM57 is a, is a cardioid pattern. Um, a lot of condensers are cardioid. I mean, that's the most common pattern is a cardioid pattern, which means it, it has a null point, a rejection point on the back, but it's hearing the sides in front, um, you know, and and top and top and bottom too. I mean, it's it's a, it's a sphere of sound rather than just a front and back. Like ribbon is an actual ribbon inside there that you know sits there and, and fluctuates. Mm. So it's um, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, a lot of tube mics are, um, a lot of tube mics actually have switchable polar patterns. Uh, you can use the figure eight or cardioid or hypercardioid. Omni is a great um, polar pattern, too. Uh, if you're, it helps fight phase. If you're using two mics at once, you might want to try, you know, having two Omni pattern microphones if you're going to double mic a guitar or something to start out with. Because you're not, you're not going to get as much phase problems in between them. Yeah, now, you've mentioned phase a little bit. So, sorry, you've mentioned phase a couple times. Can you t t explain what that is on a basic level, Matt? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so phase is um, positive and negative impulses that a mic delivers. So um, kick drum is a, is the best way to describe like how a microphone works is you have a diaphragm in front of a kick drum when you hit that kick drum a puff of air comes out pause that's a positive pulse hits the diaphragm pushes the diaphragm back you know and then and that's how it hears um whether that diaphragm goes back or it gets pulled out is is phase um what would it sound like if i were recording you know, if I had set up two mics at home and how would I know that, uh, that something is out of phase? So if you have two microphones, this is where it really, this is where if you're using two, you need to pay attention a lot more. Um, uh, if say equal distance. So if you're using, say like we did in the video, we're using two Royers on the banjo. Um, the distance they are from the banjo should be even. Because as she hits that note on the banjo, it's pushing out sound pressure level uh, waves. And as that hits the diaphragm of the mic, it might hit at a different time. So one mic is hearing uh, at one point in time. Another mic will be hearing a little bit later. And those... Uh, I'm not doing a good job explaining um, That's actually pretty good. You're right. It's like... Sound hits, it moves pretty fast, but if it hits one point sooner and it hits another point later, the difference in those two points getting hit when you combine them will literally like dip out some frequencies or, yeah. or make some frequencies sound weird. You can literally take two mics and almost get a sort of effect as, mm -hmm. as sound hits them at different times. But when sound hits them at, in an identical time, 
it sounds very natural. You have the same sound operating on those mics at the same time. Yeah, they're they're in phase. They're they're listening to the same instrument in phase with each other. Yeah. So and that you know that's where the three to one rule comes in. A lot of times, you know, that's that's a good starting point. Is um, you know the distance, distance wise, three to one, or easiest to go even. You know. You know, what might I hear if I recorded something out of phase? What might it? Uh, what might might I be looking for to know if it might be wrong? Um, clarity, is it, is it? clarity on the high end and um, punch on the low end. You'll 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 definitely lose your your low end punch, and the detail on the high end might get a little warbly sounding and not you know maybe a little muffled sounding. Um, yeah, a lot of times low end presence and high end detail are the two things I I notice instantly. It's an interesting thing. A, a, an experienced engineer, an inexperienced engineer, could set some stuff up and record and go cool, and then have an experienced engineer come in, move the mics a little bit, and it's oh, it's just got so much more. Like Matt was talking about the low end, the highs, and it's just yeah. understanding how the mics want to hear sound, how they want to, how you, how you want to record that sound. Um, it is nice to, to, to work with them. You'll notice in one of the videos that will be posted um, very soon where Stuart Duncan uh, uh, has one microphone in front and then pulls another around and puts it to the right of himself and, uh, and moves it a couple times. And he doesn't have an exact phase relationship there. He's, the phase isn't perfect, but it's close enough and it sounds great. I mean, close enough really does work most of the time. Uh, and, and close enough, you've got some, you've got a little wiggle room. So it's not like some exact science, but to get it dead right on some instruments is important, like electric guitar, because you, a lot of times you're very close to a guitar cabinet and a little bit of difference can really change how great the sound is. But with something like the banjo, it, it doesn't have to be super exact. It, you know, the closer you get it, the better, but with some wiggle room, it's going to sound great if you've got them basically in the right spots. And then in a recording situation, is there, is there a certain um, situations you would choose a ribbon over a condenser over a dynamic? Would it, you know, maybe if they're, um, if they're recording by themselves or if they're recording with a group live or, or if there's louder instruments, if it's not just an acoustic group, if there might be you know, a, a drum set involved as well. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Yeah. That, that, that's the, that's the name of the game. <laughs> that's the whole trick is, is choosing the right microphones and, and, uh, for the situation. Um, you know, a lot of drums, they'll use a lot of dynamic mics cause they can handle high SPL, um, you know, loud drums getting back mm -hmm. and put a mic right up on it. Um, ribbons are more delicate. You know, if you put a ribbon mic on a kick drum, you might blow the ribbon out, you know, you will blow the ribbon out. You will blow the ribbon. Yeah. yeah. And it, so you have, they're delicate microphones. You got to be, you got to be careful with them. And SPL, sound pressure level is, is you know, what we talk about to what my handle, you know. Um, condenser microphones often come with pads for that same reason, you know. Uh, but, so yeah, I guess, I don't know if that answers the question. Like if, I was in, if I was in a bluegrass band recording live, is there certain, uh, would I, 
Well, you know, end up on the room as well. And, yeah, and, a huge thing we talk about in the video too is the room you're in. I mean, if the room, if you're in a drywall square room, it sounds like crap. Your band's not going to sound good in there, you know. Yeah. Guitar's not going. Nothing will sound good in there because it, microphones are listening, you know, just like our ears are. You, know, you hear the room. You hear where you are. Um, I think I think when you walk into a room that doesn't sound great, our ears sort of tend to adjust for it. But yeah. you start recording in a room that has issues, and the the, the recording system's not going to adjust at all. You're going to pull stuff up, listen back, and go, "Whoa, you know what's happening." So Matt actually talks in the videos about how to control, you know, the sound coming into the microphone from different angles, uh, and it's it's pretty effective. Matt, you did it with a with a microphone stand and, a, and like a big cloth. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah anybody could do this, but it really makes a difference. That yeah, any any tricks like that, like you showed in the video, any basic tricks somebody could do at home without spending a lot of money on on sound treatment and everything. well yeah i mean that's that's the main thing like get a comforter you know a, a thicker blanket like a packing blanket or a comforter get yeah. over a microphone stand you know and you can it's a really maneuverable baffle you can move around and really try to control the room you know a lot of people that have home rooms too they'll hang blankets on the walls and stuff like that Sometimes you can, I think personally, you can shut down a room too much too, you know? Yeah. You don't, so you, you do want some air in there. You want some breath um, in the instrument, you know, but. Uh, yeah, you're hearing a band in a room, you're hearing all this stuff going on too, mm -hmm. so, and it, which can sound pretty good. When you isolate every instrument too much, then it's up to an, a recording engineer to try to mix them and get back to a natural yeah, sound is hard to get there, but if you can record some of that natural sound mm -hmm. in the process of recording, sound pretty good. And that's the most effective thing about home recording is, is spending the time finding what space sounds neat and good. What you're going for, like you know, growing up, we were in bands. We would go to um, parking garage stairwells and set up mics in there and record, and it sounded great. You know, yeah, you get all that echo, like a nice echo. Like. Yeah, so. Yeah. You know, like who needs a cathedral when you've got a good parking lot stairwell? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, you know, thinking creatively like that, you know, and there's all sorts of things to do at home like that too. You know, you can, you can control your room, convert your room into something sounding cool, leave the door open and put a microphone in the living room or something, you know, and if you're going to do some, a loud instrument. Yeah. Would, I don't know. I mean, it's, there's no rules. It's just whatever you think sounds cool. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's in phase, <laughs> yeah. it, should, it should come out all right yeah and when you're recording with one mic you don't have to deal you don't have to worry about phase it's when you get into stereo micing or, or more mics you have to be more careful yeah exactly uh, like if, if you have a real good thing drums especially but like if you have a close mic you know so you have a 121 on a banjo and you want to experiment with putting a microphone 10 feet away outside the door so it gets a little more of the living room sound or something you know you might want to hit the face button on one of those mics and see how the relationship is between those two mics because sometimes you hit the face button and all of a sudden it's boom this whole other world opens up low ends coming in high you know whatever yeah and the face button means like a microphone is hearing in phase in the front and out of phase in the back a phase button flips that so mm -hmm. the back side is in phase and, and the front side is out of phase and Mm -hmm. um, and you can really you can hear that difference big time yeah and it measured in you know uh, 360 180 uh, you know one, 180 degrees out of phase is completely out of phase and yeah. in a perfect world 
if you have two microphones exactly in the same spot against an instrument, if you hit one of the uh, phase buttons on one of them, you know, it should cancel out, you know, theoretically in a perfect world, it would. Yeah. The sound would just disappear. Yeah. Because part of the sound's going this way, the exact same part of the sound's going this way, and yeah, just goes to where sound dies. Yeah, but you know all the early reflections and you know the the room noise gets back into the mics, right? So it's not going to completely go away, but you'll definitely get the idea of phase if you do that (laughs) and what it sounds like. But David, also you'd asked about like live versus studio. Yeah, definitely, Um, because a lot of people. Don't oh recording recording live yeah yeah you you know live and in, in studio are such different um, environments and uh, in a live world you'll see a lot more dynamic microphones and, and some condensers in the cardioid pattern that are very controlled you'll see them more in play we see ribbons uh, a lot on live stages on electric guitars sometimes drum overheads uh, and brass the louder instruments uh, that that. Um, a ribbon hears very naturally without accentuating the high so you don't get your face ripped apart by high-end energy coming out of the front of house system. But most acoustic instruments um, uh, in, in most live settings, you're having PZO pickups and different in-instrument pickups just to deal with all the sound on a stage. It's hard to really put a microphone on on an acoustic instrument on stage. Um, I've done it. I love it. It's a more, it sounds better to me. I don't like using PZOs because of the sound of it, but sometimes that's all you can do. Yeah. So you can work with that with a preamplifier of some sort, um, you know, sound shaping. It's never uh, an ideal sound, but it'll kind of get you there for live performances. In the studio, I mean, it's really what up to, up to what an engineer wants to capture. Um, with acoustic instruments, you can use ribbons all over the place. I know on banjo, Bella Fleck has used ribbons uh, quite a bit, and a number of other banjo players have. And, and Matt demonstrates in these these videos, Allison and Stuart. Stuart had said in the video that um, that for over thirty years, when somebody puts a good ribbon mic on them, uh, that's when he's happiest because it just captures the sound of the instrument in the air, which we've been talking about, sort of like the air in the space. Uh, just really well. Uh, like I said, condenser mics on a pop vocal or on drum overheads where you want more energy. Um, they're more in your face. And that's uh, and that's a great sound on a lot of things. And on a lot of acoustic instruments, you want that uh, in your face kind of energy. You can blend ribbons and condenser microphones or ribbons and dynamic microphones on some instruments. Um, the blending gets really interesting. But uh, I've seen some some sessions where, you know, like you look up the Goat Rodeo sessions, that's Yo-Yo Ma uh, playing cello, but it's a, what, a bluegrassy sort of a thing. And, and, and Stuart Duncan's playing uh, violin on that. And we've got mandolin and things. And they use a lot of ribbons, a lot of Royers. There's a Royer on every instrument, but other microphones in there too to sort of pick up a more direct, high-end uh, sort of a sound uh, uh, meaning like a brighter sort of a tone to blend in there. So an engineer has those choices when it comes time to mix the recording. I want to hear this this instrument a little more bright. I want it to stand out a little more. Yeah. Um, you can do that with EQ too, but when you get your microphones right, that's really your best way to go. Yeah. And yeah, there's nothing like having a, like a man, say a mandolin, you know, that's, that's a great instrument that 
you know, a, a ribbon mic would sound, they sound great on. They, they, they capture all the warm wood and the body of the instrument, and they, they kind of tamper down some of the, you know, the chucks of it so they're not so, you know, every time they hit a chuck, you're not wincing. But you do miss, like, you know, when they want to pick out a solo or something, you want to hear that detail. You want to hear the pick hitting the string and that movement, you know. So um, a lot of times mixing a condenser in with the ribbon so you get the warm round but then you can also get that real detailed stringy you know the, the pick hitting the string kind of detail which it sounds like you're over accentuating that a little bit but that's the that the art of recording you're not always hearing an instrument completely naturally you're hearing it with a little a little extra something that that could be really cool like yeah, yeah. bringing in that detail uh just gives you that that finesse in a recording that you want to listen to again and again. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's, it's trying to make it pleasant to listen to. You know, yeah. Without without losing any of the detail of uh, what the the instrumentalist is trying to put across, you know, to do yeah. it. But, you know, I mean, th that's it's fun to it's fun to combine that and experiment with that. A lot of times 57s and Royers are, are fun to do, too. But, I yeah. mean, Sort of an ultimate electric guitar combination, uh, yeah. an fifty-seven with that mid-range punch and yeah. and uh, the the brightness. It's got a it's got a brightness peak built into it, uh, and then the the natural one twenty-one thing. It's like, let's say this is the fifty-seven, is the one twenty-one. You put it on a guitar amp, and that's sort of uh, how a lot of people around the world record electric guitars. Yeah, yeah. And what would you, I know this is, you know, it's all about kind of experimenting and finding the different spot that works for you and what you're going for and the room that you're in. But if you're just going to, for somebody, for their first tr placement of to put a mic on their playing band, their recording banjo at home, and they're just going to put a mic down for the first try, where would they put it in relation to the banjo? Would they put it on the, towards the neck, towards the, towards the tailpiece? And about how far away would you just, you know, that, first guesstimate of what might sound good. I would, I would say, um, right under the, the top string, um, the low, well, off the, off talking about the banjo head, the lower, the lower back quadrant of the head, you know, but that might be a good place to start. Okay. It, it, it'll kind of give the resonance and the tone without, you know, if, if you put a microphone right in front of the band, like right in front of the strings where the pick, picking is happening, you'll get a lot of the, the pick noise. So, so yeah. when you see that quadrant, you mean like maybe like 12th fret up there kind of thing facing the body or? Um, I would try, I would try the opposite. I would try a little more towards the bridge, not the 12th fret, but like, you know, under, under the top string, maybe a little bit back towards the bridge. Now, facing towards the bridge or facing towards the picking hand? Uh, facing towards the picking hand, yeah. Because the bridge is going to sound boingy, you know. It's going mm -hmm. to like kind of give that flick that the banjo has, that flicky punch thing that it does. In uh, one of the videos, uh, Matt, you, you basically showed exactly where you like to put the – the microphone you had a 121 and, and you said if you move it up here toward the you know too much into the body it gets too warm here off the bridge it sounds like this you basically walk that through so yeah anybody wanting to see you know uh matt really showing that position 
can uh, check out the videos, which should all be available pretty soon. Definitely. And, you know, distance is a huge thing, too. I mean, everyone thinks about, you know, where to put it on the instrument, but also how far back it is. It, it's really just it equally affects the sound, you know, proximity effect, you know, obviously coming into play at the low end. What happens if you move it in too, uh, too close or Yeah, too and that too, you know, you, you can get into close to the ribbon and it just kind of sounds blown out a little bit, you know. It sounds, the, the warm element comes a little too far into play, you know. <laughs> yeah, what happens is microphones develop, proximity effect is, it means as you get too close to it, as you get closer to an instrument, the microphone starts building up more bass and it's sort of an artificial bass. So that's where some singers can sound so big on a condenser microphone with proximity effect. It, the microphone is artificially boosting the lows, but on an instrument like the banjo, if you get too close, that proximity effect will make the banjo too thick. Yeah. So somebody might put a, a microphone three or four inches off a banjo and go, wow, this is just all mud. Yeah. You have to move it back to get away from the proximity effect that the microphone has. And then things start sounding very natural. This is with pretty much any microphone type. Yeah. I mean, try a foot, you know, start out with like maybe 12 inches off the, off the instrument. That does. I don't know. You know, it's so, you know, the good thing about recording great players too, is they know what they're, what they want the instrument to sound like. So they, they adjust themselves as well. You know, they, they know this and they can move in a little bit if they want. It's almost like playing, you know, the, the, microphone is an instrument too just like a singer works a mic and you know moves away when they're hitting real loud notes and stuff you know a player can do that a little bit too you know not as dramatic as a singer but you know just moving in a little bit and pulling out just a little bit you know really goes a long way yeah so when you're at home you put your headphones on you want to hear what the mic is hearing listen to what that mic is hearing yeah and as and you'll find as you move uh the sound changes as you get closer it changes as you come back it changes and you'll find that place uh, where things just sound right to you. And you, you have a little room to move in that, but yeah. the big moves make a real difference. And uh, so, yeah, you always see experienced musicians get up on a microphone and yeah, maybe move back a few inches yeah. or move up a few inches and, and they've got their headphones on and they go, okay, there we go. Yeah. And if you're doing this at home and you haven't had a lot of experience with it, boy, is it fun. You set up a mic, put on your headphones, Put a mic and just start moving all over. Hear what it sounds like coming off the headstock. Hear what it comes off, you know, the body. Maybe listen to it, what it sounds like on the back, and you'll start getting all kinds of ideas of, you know, where you want to put a microphone. That's a good thing you just brought up. Is that a good, would, uh, John, would you say is that's a good way to recommendation is to, to put some headphones on and just kind of, and without recording, just, you know, hear how it sounds coming through before you start to record and try these different you know, angles and everything and distances. Absolutely. And if you don't have much recording experience and, you know, you just want to spend a few bucks getting into it, you can buy a unit like this. This is a Scarlet uh, 2. It's made by Focusrite. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a, it's an interface that will go directly into your computer. You can plug a microphone into it and then you can sort of set your, your gain there, but you've got a headphone volume here. You've got a headphone input. So you plug your microphone in, and it'll accept two mics if you want it. Then you, you plug your headphones in and get your le get your level set where you're comfortable. And uh, just start listening to what you got. Move around. Set your microphone up and, and try it in different places. Yeah. And experiment. It, I mean, you could spend a day learning what a microphone will do in different places. Then 
you'll you'll this is well what'll really get you different microphones will act very differently than the one the first one you put up so you learn different microphones and how they react to distance and and how they react to positioning on on an instrument that's where a great engineer uh really comes in it, might know 50, 60 different microphones and how they react, really good mics and know exactly where to put them on a session. That's where you get the great stuff. But it starts at home, you know, for a lot of folks doing this at home, it starts with one mic and just learning how that sounds and what it's gonna do for you. You'd be surprised at how much you can get done with one good mic. Yeah, I, was, I was about to say that, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. You can, you, can, you can record a banjo part or an acoustic guitar part or mandolin part and then sing your vocals on it, maybe set your EQs a little differently on each track to make them sound a little different, but you can get a lot done with one good mic. If it's a really cheap mic, they'll tend to get very bright in the high end. And as you come start combining all the instruments, you, you, you bring up the, the banjo and the acoustic guitar and whatever else you're playing in the vocal, you'll find a whole lot of treble. A lot of high end is kind of painful and you have to start trying to control that. But if you start with a microphone that's very natural and you bring up, you know, your faders and you start listening to this, if you're recording multiple instruments um, into GarageBand or whatever recording system you have at home, um, you pull up the, those faders, you bring up the volume levels and things just sound pretty good. And then you can start to experiment with them if you want. And that's where it really, you really start to notice too, is when you start combining multiple tracks together, you know, it's, yeah. it sounds okay. And then, this one sounds okay as well. So a bunch of okay sounding things put together may sound like a nightmare. You know, it's, <laughs> it's that, that 0.5% can add up to 20%, you know, real quick when you start stacking things on. So yeah, that's something too, that John, you were saying is how you, how you adjust, you know, uh, wise, you know, where you're playing and, and lean around on the mic, you know, and find that good spot, be conscious of, you know, a great acoustic guitar by itself doesn't always mix in with play well with other tracks, you know, because maybe it has too much low end or is too hyped or yeah, you know, just takes up too, too much sonic space for anybody else to really fit in there and sound like it's an ensemble, you know? So you want things to blend right and, and feel right together too. Yeah. So that's uh, you could do some experimenting at home. Like let's say you're a multi-instrumentalist. You've got three or four instruments. You get your acoustic to sound great. You get your banjo to sound great. You pull up the faders and, realize the acoustic is too big for everything. You can go back and experiment. Well, how would that acoustic sound if I played it like this, got back off the mic a little bit, yeah, made it a little less full-bodied. Oh, now that blends with the banjo nicely. It, and it yeah. doesn't take that long to kind of get a feel for this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but you do have to have some headphones on or listen to some speakers afterward and just um, get to know how these instruments are responding based on where you're putting that mic and how you're recording it. Which is another magical thing about ribbon mics too is they they're forgiving, you know, they they just sound great and they do they do play with well with others, you know, kind of thing. They do. John, do you want to talk a little bit about the different uh mics that Royer offers? Sure. So the our main I guess our flagship mic was the first one we came out with, and it's the 121, and it's our most um well known mic, and it's it's a ribbon mic. It has a, a large ribbon hanging here. By ribbon, what that means is you've got this, this strip of aluminum foil, and it's very thin. It's 2.5 microns thin in, in the case of this microphone. 
And in some ribbons, that's even they're even thinner. That's you'd have to stack about 50 of those to get to the width of an average human hair. So it's a very thin piece of material hanging, but we treat it. It's corrugated. So instead of just hanging in a strip, it's it's like a slinky sort of it. It's got a, a pattern in it that's that's. Um, allows it to move and flex with sound when sound hits it. In the case of this 121, thank you, you're able to hit the microphone with, with fairly high sound pressure levels, like a, a very loud guitar amp without damaging the ribbon. Um, but they don't like wind at all. You get them in a windy environment or put them on a kick drum where there's literally wind being pushed and you can stretch that ribbon and you'll need to send it back for a re-ribbon. But anyway, there's the 121. Uh, and then now ribbon mics are by nature passive, meaning that they don't have electronics in them to boost the signal. So you need to plug them into preamplifiers that have a lot of gain for softer instruments like acoustic guitars or, or banjos. So we came out with another mic that's phantom powered called the 122. And here it is. So it looks a lot like the 121, but you turn your phantom power on and this is about 15 dB uh, warmer, or, or I'm sorry, hotter, uh, more level than the, than the 121. So it's great for recording acoustic instruments, um, but it's also great for things like drum overheads and electric guitars. When you hit it with very loud sounds, you go to the back and you hit a pad. It takes 15 dB of level out of it. And if you want to get very close to an instrument, it's got a uh, a low cut filter in the back so you can cut that and as you get closer to an instrument you get less of that proximity effect we were talking about um really nice on acoustic instruments um they're kind of they're pricey you know gear like this is 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 expensive the 121 in the u.s sells for uh around 1300 and the 122 sells for about uh 1750 so these are investments. They're lifetime warranty to the to the original owners, but um, yeah, they're investments. There's another mic that we came out with called the R10. This mic is 499, and it's got a, the same ribbon element that the 121 has in it. It also has a three layer windscreen system that helps, you know, uh, protect the ribbon from wind, so you can take it out on the road. Um, it's great on live guitar cabinets and things. Dave Grohl, uh, the, the Foo Fighters were out on a two year tour that they wrapped up uh, recently. And this was the only mic on Dave Grohl's guitar cabinet for the entire tour. Um, but the, the issue with this recording at home, especially if you're using something like you know, the, the Focusrite Scarlet, is that it won't have enough output. Uh, it's, um, it's a really natural sounding microphone and you can use it on so many things, but you're going to wish you had more level. So we made a device called the D booster and I don't have one right here to show you, but it's, it's like a little device about this big that you would plug the microphone into and it boosts the level by either 12 or 20 dBs. So this on acoustic instruments, I love it. I love it on acoustic guitars. I love it on the banjo. Um, love it on mandolin and fiddle, uh, but but that D booster in line with it, which costs I think 175 bucks, uh, really um, brings some life to it. Brings the level up. Uh, anyway, that's that's our that's our mic line. Stuart Duncan uh, use is using an R122V in the videos, which is very similar to the 122, 
but it has tubes in it, vacuum tubes. So now you're talking to $3,000 mic, but it's kind of magical. Um, that's a, that's a wonderful sounding mic. And then we also make these stereo ribbon microphones. So there's, there's quite a few mics in the rear line, but for recording banjo, I would probably lean on these three mics I've shown you, um, depending on what your budget is and, and what you're looking for. Uh, and, and you can get just phenomenal results uh, with them. They're used really all over the world on all sorts of professional recordings, home recordings, um, live stages, and so forth. So it's a little, little Royer thing. We're also, pretty much everybody at Royer is, is a dedicated musician and we're really into what we do. The, we love it when people get in touch with us uh, to talk about recording situations or what a mic will, will do best, what, what, you know, to use them on, or, uh, you know, if there's a problem with the microphone, we like to take care of things immediately. So, um, it's a, we're a pretty passionate, uh, group of people. I'll tell you a quick story as a guitarist, as an electric guitarist, I made my living as a guitarist in my twenties. And when I'd go into the studio, um, I used to get really frustrated because the electric guitar would sound so good in the room and right there at the amplifier. And then I'd go into the control room and it would just be missing so much body and so much of the warmth and the power of the instrument. It was just, you know, you could, you could get it to fit into a mix pretty well, but it was never what was actually coming out of the amplifier. And Dave Royer explained to me uh, before Royer Labs, uh, we had another company and we were, we were talking about ribbons then, and he said, look, a ribbon mic, get things, it captures sound as naturally as possible. And the first time I heard a 121, Dave's prototype 121 on an electric guitar, it was like a revelation. There's all that stuff. I went in the control room and listened and I felt like I was standing in front of my amplifier. And that's the same thing with like the banjo and, and the mandolin and, and different instruments. You can, you can sit and play and then go into the control room and, or just listen back on your home system and, Get a sound that's so much like what it is you actually played in the room. Um, and it, it, it just eliminates so much frustration uh, for so many people that it's a very easy way to record music and get just beautiful sounding um, tracks. You don't always want a ribbon. Like I said, on a vocal, you want that to cut through. Sometimes on drum overheads, you want the cymbals to cut through more and you, you want condenser mics. Like Matt was saying, you blend a 57 with a 121 on an electric guitar cabinet to get more of the the brightness from it and the, and the, the almost aggressive energy. Um, so you can blend mics and, and, and get things going. But when you're looking for that natural sound in a room, the ribbon is just it and it works, works wonders. And uh, it's, so that's our place in the industry. And we love being able to bring that and, and all the people we get to work with as a result, it's man, is it fun? There's, there's my, uh, that's, I mean, I, I, I agree. I remember one time I was recording, recording and and i've had that frustration many times we walk in and it doesn't sound like doesn't sound like my banjo i have a very nice banjo and it doesn't sound sounds like this shrill you know cheap instrument um yeah. and easy then, to then that, instrument like that you can lose all the detail of the body yeah. it's really easy to lose that that's where that's where ribbons come in but one situation, uh, a good engineer put on ribbons for the for, for everything, and it was the first time it sounded like I wanted it to sound. And okay. you know, it was it's was, it was like oh, the warmth is there, but he's still getting the high ends. It's not just kind of this a nice balance between the two. Great. We do have a, a 
question in the chat from John Appleseed. He's saying, what's the best model of Royer to get near an old 44B tone? To get near an old 44B tone? I think probably the, the 121, but there's really nothing that's going to get that tone like an old 44B. A 44 is that big RCA microphone you used to see pictures of Elvis Presley singing into or Frank Sinatra. They're like shaped like this. They're about seven pounds. Um, and it's a very warm, very sort of old vintage sound that um, uh, is, is iconic. But Dave Royer's uh, whole approach was, Dave says like music really lives in the mid range. It's the mid range where so much of music is just alive and really speaking to us. And if you get the mid range right, and you get, you get your lows right and your highs right, if those mids are really there, uh, you're gold. And that's that was his goal with all the Royer mics, just really pay attention to the mid-range. And that's in all the designs of our mics, whereas the big RCA isn't so mid-range focused and has a big low end. It's a, it's a pretty cool sounding mic, but there's really nothing that's going to get us there. Uh, there's a company named AEA who does really nice uh, R RCA recreations. And they're, they're 44. It's kind of expensive, but it's a good, that, that'll get you there. All right. Um, let's see, Matt, we, uh, I think there's a question for you um, from Lynn Vogel. She says she's interested about your views under about underhead mics, for example, the Shatton or the Fishman versus cardioid condensers, ABS versus integrated with the banjo itself, um, like a banjo, electric banjo or a regular mic like a Shure. Uh, well, for for live purposes, they're great, you know, because it the isolation is the key with live, you know, if you're going to record it. Um, well, and even, even just doing live sound, you want isolation, but I never use those recording. They, they don't sound natural. You know, that you, you can't get anywhere close to that with, a, you know, using like, like a space pair of 121s or something on a banjo it sounds way more natural than something like a Fishman would sound. A Fishman will, those, those mics will, they're good enough, you know what I mean? But they're, they're not great. <laughs> Here's another question that Chad and really either of you could, could jump on this. Um, are really dark acoustic recordings done with condensers thinking like Nick Drake, mostly accomplished with EQ and post? I would think maybe it's the recording medium. Because Nick Drake would have been working with tape, uh, older tape. Uh, also, maybe he was just really close to the instrument. I don't know. What do you What do you think, man? I'm not sure about that. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, it's also he was he was kind of dark. I mean, he did man, some beautiful music, but there were some really dark songs that were so gorgeous. That's partly him being in that dark place he was in too, and just the way he he did them it sounded like they were. You know, not really professionally cut, maybe, but there was a real beauty in them because of what he was putting across. Here's a question from Carol Rehack. Uh, I was hoping to get a one-size-fits mic to record banjo and vocals for church. I have a Blue Yeti. It's a lot of experimenting. Any any suggestions on a one-size, one, you know, a do-it-all mic? I don't know. There's a, 
Blues. What is the Yeti? Is it, Matt, are you familiar with that? Uh, is that the, the USB microphones? Like, uh, or no, that's not, I'm thinking of something different. Um, I think they do have a USB version. I think they make a, a standard XLR okay. version of that. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that. I've never heard them, but. Um, I wonder if she's talking about, which says for church, is this, is this for recording for her church or for um, uh, use at the church? She says to, to record banjo and vocals for church. Oh. I'd be honest with you, uh, I'm not here to just pimp Royer, but this microphone with that unit called the D-Booster would be really nice for that because you get a great banjo sound with this and off the body. Um, and uh, But it's also quite a good vocal mic um, with that D-Booster. And you can use EQ. It's very easy to add a little treble to get your voice to cut through a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, there's some videos we'll be putting up on Royer's uh, website and on our YouTube page soon of a guy here in Nashville who uh, he just sent me these these acoustic guitar and vocal uh, tracks that sound fantastic just using this mic and, and the D booster. So it would be worth looking at and maybe check out some examples online to see uh, if that's what, what you'd be looking for. And that's the R10 you're talking about. Yeah, that's the R10. Yeah. I have personally, I have, I can, I can. I can, uh, I have the R10 and I love it. So, so I'm, I have no skin in the game, <laughs> but, but, it, but it, uh, it's a great mic. I can attest to it. <laughs> um, let's see, maybe Matt, when I answer this from Astro, I, I recently bought an AT 2005. I heard it was a good one and might work well for banjo. I haven't even plugged it in yet, but it's a USB mic too. Do you, are you familiar with this mic at all? Um, I'm, not for, um, no, I've never heard them before. I'm not sure. Okay. No, Seneca, they make great microphones. You know, it's a great company. They do. They really do. Um, but I, I'm not familiar with that one. I've never, honestly, I've never tried to record an instrument with a USB microphone. So I, I, I can't comment on that. <laughs> I'm taking a quick look here to see if I can see that, that microphone is sort of what it's about. Um, of course, with my big thumbs, I, I totally butchered it. Uh, Audio Technica, it's a yeah, USB cardioid dynamic. Cardioid dynamic. Um, well, really, again, I don't know that mic either. Matt, have you had an opportunity to record tenor banjo at all? Uh, yeah, Allison had one, I believe. Yeah, we've, we've recorded a little bit of that. Okay, because we have a question from Alan Jones. He's asking, are Royer mics good on a tenor on tenor banjo playing Irish tunes like jigs and reels and hornpipes? And are Royer mics available in the UK? That that would be right up the alley. Yeah, that, I would highly recommend that. I think Me that too. Would sound great. Yeah. Yeah, and we're we're available in the UK. You can call Funky Junk or or I think it's Studio Care. Any any number of different dealers will have them there. Uh, let's see. So I'm just reading through the chat real, real quickly, but um, I have a few more questions too. myself. Um, Matt, what about, you know, one of the biggest issues I'm recording banjo that I've run across and, and I know it's very common is, is pick noise, you know, having the metal picks playing on the metal strings and you're getting this deep, you know, it's, 
you start to hear it and with mics that very sensitive mics especially and you're putting them fairly close um you start to pick it up is there any trick of mic placement to um we talked about it in the videos a little bit but real briefly maybe well um, obviously if, if you put a microphone right in front of the strings where you're plucking them you're gonna you're gonna get pick noise um I like that's why I was suggesting maybe start with the start with the body, you know, of the banjo and try to try to start miking the head and thinking it more of like a drum at first and see if that sounds all right. Because um, every banjo is so different too, you know. It mm. seems like every different banjo player that comes in here, it's it's a completely different animal, you know. The way they play it, the way it sounds, everything, what kind of picks they're using. So. Um, that's why I always err to the micing the body first. Also, what kind of mics I'm using is definitely uh, one of the most important thing. And I mean, not to press Royer, but Royer is a fantastic mic, especially on the mid the mid range. It, it captures mid range detail, but not in a harsh way, and that really helps pick noise. You know, um, you know, if you put a Lemon KM84 on a banjo. You're gonna have to be really careful on where you put it because it's gonna be clicking and clacking everywhere. Whereas something like a, a ribbon microphone that can smooth out of that, but yet capture the detail air of it. Um, that that is always the case. I, you know, a lot of times I'll combine maybe like a a 67 tube mic and a, a um, ribbon microphone, like a Roy 121. Sometimes the 122Vs are, you know, they they are they do deliver that uh, detail a little more like a condenser does. Um, but that's what I'm, you know, that's why I'm fair to the 121s. Yeah. But especially for things like and stuff. And you know, other things like tambourine. Yeah, I know that doesn't come into bluegrass and acoustic instruments too much, but man, I mean. You start recording things like tambourine and, and shaker and hand claps and all that stuff. You know, when when you start stacking that stuff up in a track, all of a sudden it's it's musical sounding. It's not it's not all hype. It's it, it has a tone and it has. You a mean when you when you're using ribbons on that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it's it's the mic choice really, and ribbons are fantastic. At, avoiding helping avoid pick noise and you know a lot of it so much of it's the player too you know i think probably 80 percent of it is the player so i don't know and would i be this is just me um would i be incorrect in saying if i was going for a real traditional bluegrass sound earl scruggs you know as traditional as it gets versus um versus a, a, a new grass sound like like Allison or Bella Fleck or um, um, would you on that traditional do they usually do they usually use a, like a Neumann condenser because it's a little brighter and then on that kind of more modern sound where you're going for a warmer sound would you go towards that ribbon more yeah yeah definitely and each in either case I would want to put it I would want to have a ribbon mic on it Okay. Uh, exactly what John and about electric guitar cab. You know, it's going to capture this, the body. You know, the meat of the instrument. You know, a lot better. Um, but yes, definitely Earl Scruggs, 
style, you know, high energy. Um, you know, I'll, I'll always, I'll usually put a tube mic up and, you know, tube mics are a different animal. It's like all different mics. They respond so differently. So it's, and, uh, you know, maybe 67 might be a little, a little warmer on the mids or a little rounder, a little more present on the low mids. Um, many are 47, U47 is going to give that a little, have a little more air on it and a little more detail so you can, and, uh, Blending those with ribbons, you know, to accomplish two different things at once is, is extremely valuable and handy. So, but almost always I'll put up either a ribbon or a 57, you know, because they, they capture this meat of the instrument, the wood, the, the soul, you know, low mid presence kind of thing. Cool. And uh, Bruce Mitchell in the chat is asking, do you use much compression for banjo? That'd be for you, Matt. Not, not tracking. Unless, unless the, you know, it's a player that's really out of control. You know, dynamically, I might. But I, I use that. I, I definitely am careful with compression on banjo because they, you can hear compression really well on them. <laughs> you know, and you, you hit it a little too hard and all of a sudden it's a, it's a thing. It's a different. It's a different beast. So, I would I would use it more to control the player rather than the sound. And I do compress later. You know, mixing wise, you know, have at it. You know, experiment. Tracking wise, I'm pretty. I try to be pretty careful with compression, at least on banjo. Mm -hmm. And a question in the chat uh, for home for home recording. Oops, it just moved. Sorry, for home recording. Use two dynamics like an F SM57 near the tailpiece and neck. Um, would I have a phase problem? Yeah, I guess that depends on where they're placed, right? Yeah, I mean, more of it's the distance, you know. I mean, if, if one is, is sitting, you know, they need to be the same, the same distance from the instrument. It should be fine. Then we have a question from Rob D. Um, at how do you EQ banjo in foreground or background? Uh, EQ banjo I, in foreground or background? I'm not sure. I don't quite understand, but <laughs> like I guess as a lead instrument or as a support instrument, maybe. Kind of maybe that's what they're talking about. Yes, yes. Um, I you know I usually don't EQ them differently. I try I try to avoid EQ. You know, I don't. I don't use a whole lot of EQ to shape the sound. Majority of the sound, you know, I use it to help me get there as a nudge tool. But you know, you choose microphone placement and choosing the right mics are more important. And the more EQ you start doing the things, the more you know EQ as is uh, adds phase and distortion as well. And so you're diminishing. You know, the more you EQ, the more you're diminishing the signal. And, and adding phase harmonics to it, so. Yeah, you see most of you better engineers, uh, rather than reaching for the EQ knob, they'll move the mic a couple inches. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that, that you're gonna accomplish more in a natural way doing that than reaching yeah. for to fix the problem, yeah. Again, put your headphones on, put your mic out front, listen to, you know, if you want something to be brighter, well, move your instrument a little bit and listen to where it sounds brighter. Mm -hmm. That's what a good engineer will do. And, and as far as like a foreground background thing, 
I'm not sure what he meant by that, but I'm, if if we're talking about uh, support, you know, rather rather than lead, um, a lot of times that's just a level thing in the mixing, you know, a ride rather than a few feel. Um, but I have done some things where I try to emulate that one microphone old style recording of bluegrass where each person steps up to the mic to take the lead. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I might add a little um, low mid to boost to simulate proximity effect. You know, but I don't know. Most most modern recordings don't, you know, people don't want to hear that. <laughs> they, you know, they want to hear a little more balanced and modern sounding so. That's good information, though, for, for recording, you know, an acoustic instrument like the banjo to try to fix it in in the, you know, in in the placement and in the recording process as opposed to in post. Yeah. And all the, the all the magic happens in the air in between the instrument and the microphone, you know, and that's what the player is putting out there and where the mm -hmm. microphone is sitting. That's where it all happens. It doesn't happen with EQ and all the neat toys to, you know, those help you a little bit you know, to fix little things here and there and to, to nudge it in the right direction, but not to lean on it as a tool, you know. So somebody with, with, you know, fairly limited knowledge of how to, how to work, you know, the tools that they have garage band or logic or whatever. And, uh, but they buy a, you know, a decent mic like the R10 that's, but still not too expensive and just a basic um, interface um, can capture a pretty good sound. Do you think? Absolutely. You could make a top notch record, you know, if you knew it, if you, you know, if you're hearing it right and, and putting it in the right spot. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of the trick, you know, it's a good recording is, is the, the patience to find the right spot and to, you know, capture it correctly. That's that, that takes you to the, the goal line. Yeah, you captured it correctly and then capture a variety of instruments correctly. Yeah. If you got them all sounding good, uh, getting them mixed and in, in, into a song that sounds great down the road is, is is a much easier kind of a thing. There's a an engineer here in town I know um, who's done a lot of work over the past uh, number of years who um, told me that he uses uh, seventy percent ribbons when he when he tracks because he says when he pulls up the faders everything sounds right. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's his thing. Not everybody uses that many ribbons. I know plenty of engineers who just use ribbons to goose certain things here and there. And otherwise it's all condensers and dynamics. It's whatever works for you. But, um, but whatever that mic is, if you've got a good mic and you're recording it well, each, each instrument, um, uh, like Matt said, that, that magic is between the musician and the microphone. It's what's coming into that mic and capturing it properly. If you, you get that instrument by instrument uh, and, and build some, some tracks up. You can have a really nice sounding song with, with uh, one or two microphones. And if I was recording with, with the ribbon uh, with, with one of the Royal ribbons uh, with the figure eight pattern, would it be a good mic with just one mic for, for a duet to, do, to go on both sides? Would that be it? Um, you can do that. You can do that. The only thing is if the, the, the people are playing the same notes at the same time, you'll have cancellation because you have one membrane responding to that sound coming in both directions. If they play the same thing at the same time, the mic will basically sort of stop. It just won't move. So you won't get a signal. Mm -hmm. gotcha. uh, and Royer's, uh, on Royer's website, we have an audio video library 
and there's a, some great examples of some some you know duets and live performances in there. There's one where it's three players, the the Waylon Jennings, these, these no. great singers from Canada. Yeah. Uh, had stopped into a radio station uh, to do a live broadcast in LA and the engineer loved the sound of them in the room so much excuse me uh, that they uh, he put up one stereo Royer ribbon and um, sorry about that uh, put up one stereo ribbon and put two on the front side left and right and one on the back side in the center and you had a left center right stereo image that was just gorgeous and uh you know so they were performing from the two different sides of the microphone gotcha really yeah, worth listening to <laughs> well, i can't get this thing to stop there we go um i think i know the, the answer to this question but we have one more question um somebody's asking uh a, a good mic to record uh the banjo and the cora together Any any suggestions? Cora. But um, I'm not actually sure what the Cora is. I'm sorry, but yeah, I'm I'm not either. And but but the ribbon going the ribbon is a uh, good mic to record a lot of you know a very versatile mic and would work with a lot of you know, wide range of acoustic instruments, you would suggest. You'd oh, yeah. 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 I think any engineer would tell you that. They're pretty yeah. cool. Sound great on everything. Yeah. Well, we've come up to the top of the hour. I think we went over a lot of information here. I think uh, I think everybody, I know I've, I've learned a lot. Um, uh, do you all have any, any, um, any sites that you'd like to um, let people know about? Uh, John, anything you, you want to kind of let plug right now? Uh, if you would go to uh, the Rory Labs website uh, and look at the audio video library, there are hundreds of different recordings in there. Uh, they're all in uh, decent resolution, like CD quality resolution, that's 16-bit. Um, and uh, it's a great place to learn I see the graphic there. Thanks. It's a great place to learn about a variety of instruments. You'll hear sometimes whole mixes and then we'll go in and just isolate. You hear the isolated ribbon tracks that were pulled out from the mix. Uh, in other cases, maybe one or two instrumentalists in a room just playing some acoustic stuff. Uh, and others, you know, full bands. Uh, Slash, the electric, the great guitarist, just did something in his home studio for us. You know, great electric guitarist cut on ribbons. But you can learn so much about ribbons uh, in in that library, uh, and it's really not we're we're not really trying to pitch Royer here. We're trying to teach people what ribbons do. Uh, so it's a great place to spend some time uh, if you in the search. If you type in you know acoustic, you'll find just tons of acoustic recordings. If you type in acoustic guitar or electric guitar, it'll it'll just isolate in the library what it is you're looking for. Definitely worth spending some time. Uh, we're we're also building a page in the library to house the five videos that we just, the five Deering Royer videos uh, with Allison and um, and Stuart that, that Matt recorded, they're fantastic. And Matt's teaching in these videos is just excellent. It's, it's expert advice. You're looking at an instrument that Allison is holding. He's moving the mic. You can hear what you're, what, what it sounds like in these, in these different places. It's really, uh, it's a great way to learn. 
Um, and that page should be live uh, possibly by this evening. Uh, you'll be able to access five different uh, recording videos there. And we're um, yeah, good, good place to go learn. I, that, that's what I would pitch, just to go educate yourself on what ribbons could do. And, you know, a, a good thing about that, too, is it, it has Stuart and Allison's perspective on it as well. Yeah. But extremely important, you know, just for engineers out there, it's really important to, you know, make sure your musicians are happy and they're hearing their instrument the way they want to hear it and they enjoy, you know, because they're responding to what they're hearing in the headphones. So it's, it's very, it's a huge part of it. Um, yeah, so... You know, having the, the technical side and all the little tricks or, you know, whatever, baffling tricks and things to think about, but really getting inside, trying to climb inside the, the head of a musician and, and get their perspective is, is huge. You know? It's great. And Allison and, and Stuart are deep, man. These, they've been doing this a long time. So their perspective is it's really educational and, and it's it's important. Uh, um you know, Stuart talks about how he feels when ribbons are put up on him, and Allison talks about the warmth and different things that they bring. It's, it's just, it's great to get their perspective. I found like so, a lot of your best musicians will show up with their own microphones, yeah, uh, at, or at least have a microphone type that they know works best with them that they want to have up there. So uh, I've seen yeah. that. Yeah. And it's because they did the homework, just like we've been talking. Like they've they've experimented and heard all these different mics and know where to put it on their instrument that they like, you know, the way their fingers respond to the bass or the banjo or whatever, you know, they, they, they get what they need out of it when, the, when that microphone is sitting right there on that instrument. And that's through years and years and years of experimenting and listening to different styles and different engineers do, you know, record them. And it's, it's extremely valuable information. Yeah. And how cool is that for you, Matt, when a guy shows up and says, or, or a woman shows up and, Here's 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 the mic I want. I'm gonna put it in this spot. You know, maybe you don't even know that mic, but okay, fire it up and wow, you know, you learn something new. Exactly. It's like, hey, you just taught me something. Wow, thank you. Yeah. And it sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> or they show up with that mic and you go, yep, that's the one. I know what we're gonna get today. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not what and it's okay if you know, to if they have their mic in their spot and you can give that to them in their headphones, but you can also put up a mic and record what you want to capture out of it, you know, and they don't have to hear that. You can just hear it and you can use that in the mix, you know, but cool. keeping, yeah, keeping your musicians happy is, is very important. Yeah. Well, thanks both of you for, for coming and uh, everybody be sure to check these videos out coming. That will be launching uh, next week on, on uh, through uh, our YouTube channel and on our website and, uh, and on Royer's site. And, uh, Thanks for thanks for everything you, you, you helped us with, Matt, too, as well. Yeah. So uh, pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Really appreciate being on here, and I really appreciate Deering reaching out originally and asking uh, us at uh, Reuter if we were interested in collaborating on this project. And it has really uh, been educational and fun. Definitely, definitely, appreciate you guys. All right. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>